Hi, my name's Emma Bartlett. I'm a partner at CM Murray and um, I'm joined today by some fantastic experts in this area to record a short podcast, um, which is intended to be a snapshot of the panel discussion held at this year's International Forum of Senior Executive Advisors in London in June this year. And actually, um, Terry Johnston, who is one of the participants today, was a fantastic panel chair. Um, as I was able to um, unable to attend due to COVID. So um, my great thanks to Terry. And luckily, um, with this podcast, I get to uh, pretend to be panel chair <laughs> um, in, in this. So I, I'm joined today by um, Paul Cavernis, from, uh, who's a partner at Horvend Law Firm in Norway, specialising in employment and pension law. Uh, Teresa L. Johnson, partner at Arnold and Porter in San Francisco, who advises clients on corporate and finance matters and has a particular focus on board diversity as part of her corporate governance work. Um, Wendy Lazar, partner at Alton and Golden um, in New York, specializing in employment and executive compensation, um, advising clients and attorneys in the US and abroad as part of her international practice. And uh, Carl Frederick Haydenstrom, partner at CFH Stockholms, again, specializing in employment law. So um, the, the panel in June looked at the different approaches taken internationally towards greater diversity on boards, um, assessing what had worked well, um, what could be improved and what the next steps for board diversity are, all of which we will seek to discuss in this uh, much shorter podcast and the panel discussion. Um, personally, I think the big question is uh, what is going to change board diversity and bring about the improvements that um, I think it's a, a common assumption are required. Um, the imposition of legislation is resulting in either constitutional and legislative challenges or in some cases um, stagnation. And um, the most productive output, I think, from our panel discussion today is to get to the bottom of that question. Um, we'll also be discussing the impact of shareholder activism, reverse activism, activism sorry, executive pay and ESG, uh, which are all up for debate. Um, but first, I'd, I'd really like to um, turn to Paul and ask my first question. Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. Um, Welcome. Uh, you've had 16 years of experience of mandatory board diversity quotas in Norway. Um, could you just give us a brief overview of what they are and how these quotas affected board diversity in Norway? Yeah, thank you, Emma. Happy to, uh, happy to talk about the Norwegian situation. And uh, you can just imagine that we were pretty proud of ourselves when we were kind of like uh, first country out. Uh, um, 2005 2006 in implementing uh, these quotas for uh, public uh, limited companies in Norway um, and and what we implemented was actually pretty hard requirements um, uh, stipulating that every board need to be at least 40 percent uh, women uh, we had deadline for each company to accomplish that requirement and we had hard sanctions, meaning that if you did not meet the quotas within the deadline, you would actually be uh, liquidated as, as a company. So, so no wonder uh, every company actually fulfilled the requirements for the quotas within the deadline. Uh, uh, and, um, but it, we had some challenges with it. Uh, so, so, so that was one thing uh, I'm happy to talk about. And, uh, and also, of course, did we eventually get the effect out of it? But at the beginning, we, we, we obtained the, the target of getting the 40% uh, pretty quickly, actually. Oh, fantastic. Um, 
yeah, you really did lead the way in that respect. But you mentioned difficulties there. What, what are, in particular, were the difficulties faced by Norwegian boards? Well, this is a little bit embarrassing to, 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 to admit as a Norwegian. Uh, the, 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 one of the challenges was actually of a practical sort. We, uh, or we, the boards and uh, the nominating committees for the board members actually found it difficult, at least within some branches, to find what they believe will be sufficiently qualified women, actually, on the top levels of uh, of the Norwegian business life, so so um, many boards had to kind of expand their search for qualified candidates outside of Norway, leading up to uh, uh, a lot of the boards being populated by um, by uh, uh, women from the Nordic countries uh, and especially from from Sweden and Norway. Uh, together, of course, with with most of them uh, being from 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 Norway, and this was actually to the extent that at the beginning, at the early years of this, we 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 even got the expression uh, uh, "golden skirts" because we had a f a, 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 f a few uh, female uh, professional board members that populated many of these uh, boards around. So. So it was a peculiar situation where we are, we are happily not there now, of course, but, but this was actually a, a, a practical situation back in 2006. I think it's, um, that was a, a practical situation which was experienced certainly in the UK um, when board diversity started to um, kick off. But whilst we're talking about challenges, um, I'm gonna go to Terry actually, um, because I know that California has um, had much more recent experience of imposing quotas on boards. Um, and it would be really great just to hear how the imposition of quotas impacted the progress of board diversity. And I will ask you, Terry, a follow-up question as well, because um, there have been difficulties experienced in boards meeting those quotas as well, which are a little bit more um, extensive than just gender. So, Terry, hi. Hello. It's good to uh, it's good to be together again and um, and to be talking about this incredibly important topic. So perhaps to set the stage in California, beginning in 2018, we instituted uh, legislation that was designed to improve board diversity, which established in 2018 mandatory requirements for gender, in other words, a minimum number of women directors on corporate boards of uh, publicly traded companies headquartered in California. And then later in 2020, a similar law was adopted that requires a minimum number of directors from underrepresented communities, which is defined to mean minorities and people identifying as LGBTQ plus uh, on similarly the boards of companies that are publicly traded and headquartered in California. And from the time that these statutes were adopted, uh, it was expected that there would be legal challenges to them. Uh, we, we've seen uh, an enormous uh, do, uh, increase in the number of women on board since the California requirement was, was adopted. Um, the, the number of women on boards of California-based public companies has nearly tripled. So essentially, notwithstanding the expected controversy and challenges to the law, it, it has had a significant effect. Less so with respect to um, the uh, underrepresented communities requirement, the it has been more successful on in terms of, of bringing more white women onto 
publicly traded boards of, of head, California headquartered companies. We've seen less progress on, on that front, although I think that's you know, continuing to, um, uh, to improve. So as I said, both of the both the, the California laws and and as Wendy will probably speak about in a little bit, the Nasdaq requirements are being challenged in the courts, and the lower courts have struck down the California requirements. They're currently on appeal, but the basic concept is is that they were struck down based on violating the Equal Protection Clause, and what that means is that under constitutional jurisprudence, the state has to show that a law that makes a distinction on the basis of race or gender has to fulfill a compelling state interest. Um, showing a history of discrimination can be uh, a sufficient justification for such a law. In fact, that's the basis for affirmative action, which is also PS getting challenged. But interestingly, the lower court in the California cases took the position that the, the legislature had looked at the demographics of board directors relative to the population at, at large and noticed that there was a you know very disproportionate number of, of you know white men on on boards but the court looked at it and said well really what you should have looked at was the demographics of sitting board directors relative to the pool of board candidates and there's an inherent challenge in that given that the recruitment of board directors is, is not a process where there's some kind of cattle call application where you know you can you can easily identify a pool of applicants it's it's much more informal and much more network based interestingly that kind of approach works well for affirmative action where in fact you do have a pool of applicants who are who are submitting their their applications but not so much for boards um, but the lower court then the california case has also noted that the the lack of diversity on boards could be the result of benign cultural differences uh, and finally, the state had, had sort of indicated that they had a compelling interest in more diverse boards because more diverse boards employ more inclusive workplace standards and have been linked to stronger corporate performance. But the court took the position that that, that wasn't enough, that the state does not have a compelling enough interest in healthy businesses, that that's not you know, sufficiently specific or immediate. Um, and, and I'll note also that, that interestingly, um, the the same individual who is focused, who is challenging um, the California board diversity requirements and also the NASDAQ board diversity requirements is also the one challenging the affirmative action requirements in the, the case involving Harvard that's in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, and his name is Edward Blum, and he's a well-known conservative activist. Okay, you could take us through that. I mean, we've got Norway on the one hand with um, regulation that's been in place for a long time um that wasn't easy to fulfill but did get fulfilled we've got the california on the other hand with regulation which created a lot of change over quite a short period of time but again um in this case challenge which was a, a huge difficulty um in that respect and um i'll come to wendy shortly to discuss the um uh, the broader issues with regards to the nasdaq regulation and other challenges but in the uk we've sort of we're sort of sitting in the fence uh, sitting on the fence with this, um, there has been very little in regulation in the UK in this regard at all. Um, uh, reliance, as with a lot of employment legislation at the moment in the UK, to be fair, is placed on peer pressure, naming and shaming, trying to get um, employers to do the right thing without um, risk of um, penalties, which may or may not be enforced. Um, and so we've had uh, aspirational targets set um, and this this was set um, more than 10 years ago uh, to get 30% women on boards, um, and it's uh, gone through a, a great deal of review. Uh, the review has analysed 
um, what is bringing about change. And one of the things actually that was brought out as part of the Hampton Alexander review um, was a very similar comment uh, to the one that you mentioned, Paul, where um, boards were saying, well, there, there just aren't enough uh, women um, to assist with us meeting our target or all the good women are taken um, or we've got our, our one um, female director, leave us alone, we've, we've, we've done our job. So th th there was a lot of that to start off with and I, I would say very much over the last five years that attitude has changed and there is now a push in the UK as well to increase diversity on boards beyond um, gender. The, the latest um, review being driven uh, in financial services and in, in particular in the FTSE 350 is to um, increase uh, diversity uh, up to 40% um, but there are some specific targets having been set um, and in April this year there was also the um, certain listed companies now have to um, comply with uh, an obligation to meet specific board diversity targets or otherwise explain why they can't meet them and um, the naming and shaming in this respect is um, what is driving, nobody wants to um, uh, be in trouble in that respect and not being able to meet the FCA um, objectives that are being set. So again, it's, it's not for all listed companies, it's just for certain listed companies. Wendy, I'd, I'm really interested to hear about what's happening um, obviously in other parts of the US and wondered if you could please comment on trends that you've seen in support for quotas, or at least the NASDAQ approach to improving board diversity? Uh, until really 2018 in the US, we weren't really seeing any legislation around uh, board quotas or transparency and disclosure rules going into uh, state law. And so 2018 in California was definitely the pivotal event. Uh, as usual, California is way ahead of the rest of the country on these issues. Um, and we did see what followed after California was New York, Washington, Illinois, um, I believe a couple of other states. And, and I think that those that, that legislation is slightly different. Uh, they took a very different approach and maybe a smarter approach. Um, we may all wind up at the same place, but the approach was more about disclosures as opposed to rulings that you had to comply in very specific ways to fulfill a pipeline that would get you a quota by a certain period of time, one year, two years, three years, um, and what that makeup had to be. And so uh, the, you know, New York uh, is, is ongoing. It's, it's more statistically based evidence of showing what Teresa says was uh, kind of, uh, what California was accused of leaving out in their, in their uh, legislation, which was really finding um, the demographics and really proving that they were, they were using the right, uh, the right groupings to really put their finger on what was wrong with the existing board of directors at, at public companies. Um, and so you see much less uh, aggressive legislation in these other states. And subsequently, as far as I know, there haven't been any major challenges to that legislation as yet. Um, I would say the NASDAQ appeal, which is very interesting, um, but very much in line with California, uh, as Teresa noted, it is the Alliance for Fair Board Recruitment Group 
a conservative, uh, I, I use the word think tank lightly, uh, loosely, uh, but they are a group that is fighting affirmative action in the United States and certainly fighting um, regulatory approaches and quotas. Um, one of the big issues, besides the equal protection argument, which we certainly have heard, um, and even a kind of, I will say, shameless argument that you can't discriminate against white straight men. Very interesting. I never thought they were in a protected class, but I guess now they are. <laughs> um, hasn't been my experience as an employment lawyer, uh, but certainly it's an interesting argument. Um, the other arguments they're making, though, are, you know, that there really is no business case for this uh, quota idea, then they're also making the case that, um, that the SEC that approved NASDAQ's uh, regulations to begin with, uh, which you know happened in February uh, 22, so we talked about that obviously before, but these regulations, again, were very specific. You had to comply with the uh, NASDAQ rule if you wanted to be listed on the NASDAQ exchange. Uh, you had to have a certain amount of women, minorities, LGBTQ plus uh, uh, directors on your board by a certain period of time. And again, um, you know, you this was approved by the SEC. And it's interesting because uh, NASDAQ is not really a government body. Uh, what's interesting is the challenge uh, when they brought the appeal NASDAQ, uh, not NASDAQ, but the Alliance for Fair Board Recruitment brought, the, brought this appeal to the Fifth Circuit. What's interesting about it was that they were claiming that there was not even a procedural right um, for NASDAQ um, to bring to, to um, have this ruling, and it shouldn't have been approved by the SEC, which is a government agency, and that they had no right. They overstepped their bounds. They were applying a very, uh, you know, the Equal Protection Clause wouldn't allow for this. And so they were really, um, absolutely, that, that challenge was made. And, you know, I think that as good lawyers, we have to look at that because certainly uh, uh, SEC does have regulatory authority with this rule to sanction companies that don't comply or explain. So it is an interesting issue just on a legal front from both, uh, both sides. Um, it's interesting you mentioned um, the protection for the white male group has a we've we've seen some challenge in the uk um uh, terry mentioned positive um affirmation or in the uk positive action and um there's there have been some challenges in the uk in that respect as well um but to be fair i think uh, quite often people can um not take the uh, not understand necessarily the distinction and it is a fine line between positive affirmation, positive action and positive discrimination, the latter being unlawful. And as a result of uh, overstepping the mark with positive action, you move into the realms of positive discrimination and then there is a group of people who are, who are going to be adversely um, affected by um, organisations or, or boards who are trying to push through um, diversity targets, irrespective of whether or not they're still going to be appointing people on merit. 
Um, and I can see where that comes from. Um, Wendy, I have another question, but before I do, I, I'd really like to hear from Carl Frederick, um, bringing the discussion back to Europe. Um, can you just quickly summarize for us Sweden's approach to board diversity, including how it responded to the recent um, EU directive, obviously uh, approving for approving women on boards? First of all, I think this sort of <coughs> discrimination discussion regarding straight white men is kind of interesting because I usually use it as an example when I teach that it's not possible. You know, I can't be, since you can't see me now because it's a podcast, but I'm a straight, middle-aged, white, sort of well-educated person. I, and I, I find it very hard to understand how anyone, anyone could discriminate against me. So, so, uh, so that's a very interesting sort of angle to this. Uh, secondly, I also made the sort of, I was listening to the description from the US and it's kind of interesting how much legation all this sort of legislation will bring up because in Sweden, if you have legislation, it's hardly ever appealed. You know, you, you can't really appeal it to court. We don't have a constitutional court in that way. So if the government enacts a law, that's it, unless it's sort of very, very wrong. You know, it, it has happened that you went to the European court, but you don't litigate legislation like that uh, usually. But anyway, it, we're in a sort of an interesting situation because just a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago actually, the European Commission finally agreed on a directive for board diversity. And uh, it's pretty similar, I think, Paul, to what Norway did, you know, 15, close to 20 years ago. Uh, it's, it certainly has the same aims, you know, 40% uh, of the uh, women on boards, or as the directive says, the it doesn't say women, it says uh, the sex with the least uh, representation on the board should at least be 40% to make it sort of gender neutral, even if everyone knows what we're talking about. Uh, it also makes a distinction between board members with the management position and non-management positions. So it's 40% if you count all board members, if you uh, if you call, if you count board members that, are, have, that do not have a management position. It's 33% if you count all board members. So we'll see what happens with this. Uh, 2026 is sort of the, the deadline for uh, fulfilling the requirements. Sweden has been a staunch, uh, I would hope, say, uh, champion of this, but on the contrary, uh, we've been totally against uh, all these measures and voted against it, I think, together with Slovenia and Poland or something like that. So uh, uh, I'm not going to come into what sort of government we have right now after elections. Uh, that's sad enough. Uh, but uh, it will probably not anyway uh, be positive for, for these sort of issues. Uh, the reason we voted against it was that we, we have a company code in Sweden, which is a, it's not legislation, it's a sort of a code of conduct for listed companies and for the last 20 years that has included a, a section saying that uh, companies should strive to have an equal board 50-50 uh, that is and and so there's some carrots but not many sticks in this legislation so, so to speak uh, regardless of that we as of present we have like 39.6 percent women on the boards of listed companies so we're almost there and i think that politicians will say you know we don't have to do anything about the new directive because we already fulfilled the requirements so we'll you know, sit still and do do nothing pretty much mm. uh, the main argument against legislation is that you know this will uh, infringe on the shareholders prerogative to pick the most 
qualified board. Uh, and it's nothing that you can do by legislation because you cannot force shareholders to vote in a certain way. Uh, because at least in Sweden, the shareholders pick the directors. And as a shareholder, you can vote whatever way you want. Uh, secondly, we also have labor representatives on the boards and they are picked by the unions. Uh, so that will make it sort of complicated in Sweden, at least to sort of have this sort of regulations because if you have a big shareholder and that person votes against an equal board and that decision goes through, it's, it's kind of hard to punish the company for that. Uh, it's not the company's decision and the company cannot do anything about really who owns them. So that's sort of the main argument. So in, in short, we're still ranked number five in the world when it comes to board diversity. Uh, so I think that our politicians would probably say that, well, EU directive or not, we, we sort of adhere to this anyway, so we're not going to do anything. Uh, we're going to sort of keep on do business as usual. Mm. That's so interesting. And um, with regards to the um, composition of women holding the board positions as opposed to um, the non-critical positions in Sweden, it sounds like you're, um, you've made significant progress in that respect because in the UK, um, where people have been striving to meet what is a voluntary target, the, um, it's been quite easy to fill the, um, for example, the non-executive roles or the, um, you know, not the chairman, um, not the CEO, um, not the, what are seen as core decision-making elements of it. So I'm really interested um, to hear from Sweden's perspective and also interested to get your views on whether the diversity on board goes beyond gender. Is there diversity in company leadership generally as well within Sweden? Uh, I would say it's probably the same thing as with many other places. I, I, I've been trying to get, you know, uh, up-to-date figures on this, but mm -hmm. my general feeling is that when you, when, when you come to sort of management level, uh, you're going to see a, a pretty dramatic decrease in the numbers. Uh, it's not going to be 40%, it's probably going to be around 20 And, and I'm, I'm saying this without sort of, having any sort of uh, scientific basis for us. So you sort of sifted through articles and trying to figure out, you know, where we're at. Uh, but we're not really there yet. It's still a uh, male club when it comes to the CEO level. When it comes to other diversity, we, we have a huge problem. Uh, and that's not only with boards, that's society in general. We, we, when it comes to especially groups that are new in Sweden. I'm not going to talk about the LGBTQ plus movement because I think we're fairly we're handling that fairly well anyway. Uh, we don't have any statistics on it really uh, when it comes to borders. But, but when it comes to migrants or first or second generation, they're with a few notable examples, they're not in the boardroom at all. So that, that, is, that is a problem. Uh, you have two million people here with very little representation in corporate Sweden, really, in that sense, since 20% of our population are first, second generation migrants. So, uh, so that's something that I think we're going to have to work with going forward. Yeah, thank you. I'm interested that you talked about um, shareholders appointing directors onto boards. Obviously, in the UK, we have um, investor directors, but generally the company themselves are free to choose um, their own directors. But Wendy, I wanted to ask you a follow-up question. 
um, because the, um, where there isn't regulation and there's a, a voluntary target, where, where do you find the pressure is coming from for change, for uh, better diversity on boards? I think it's been a really interesting time. I mean, we're, we're living through social movements that have really had a huge effect on bringing attention to the, to the issue of diversity as a whole. And secondarily, obviously, to who's running the corporations and who serves on their boards. And the Black Lives Matter movement certainly catapulted a tremendous amount of change that resulted in uh, women of color, people of color serving on boards um, more than certainly they had in the past. I think in 2000, in 2021, it was something like 535 black women were put on boards throughout the country. That's a huge number and a huge change. It's a game changer. Um, it's not enough but it's a game changer. I think the Me Too movement also really focused a lot of energy on how women were being treated in the corporate world and that catapulted boards to wake up and take notice. Um, but I think on the business side, uh, DEI has become very embedded in the ESG process as a whole. And it is definitely the S, the social, middle piece of ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues that companies have become acutely aware of, not necessarily uh, voluntarily. They have activist investors that have really held their feet to the fire and made sure that the issues that are important to them in terms of climate change, climate control, um, uh, DE and I governance issues in general are being addressed uh, by the companies on the boards that they serve. And, you know, you used to have an occasional activist investor, like in the newspaper now, I think it's a daily event. Every board sees an activist person um, and is learning how to cope and deal with that. At the same time, you are looking at DEI programs that are actually feeding now, I think finally pipelines as Teresa had addressed before, it's not happening on the golf course anymore where you know, a guy says to his buddy, you'd be great on my board. You, know, you have all the, all the experience, plus you're a terrific golfer. You should really join my board. Uh, that is of course still happening, but I think the boys club for, George, uh, for board membership is not quite the same anymore. And um, I think that, you know, that you're seeing throughout the country in areas where uh, there aren't a lot of diverse uh, and minority candidates for board positions, they are recruiters and companies are going out of their comfort zone to try to find those folks to build pipelines uh, and to really enable the picture to change. And so, you know, the other piece I will just say uh, that I think is really interesting is this generational shift in general. You just don't have consumers and investors that are just willing to put up with the status quo. Uh, women consumers are fighting pretty hard uh, on the investment front to invest in companies that make sense for them and to have those companies make good business judgments in terms of recognizing that there are women stakeholders, there are LGBTQ stakeholders, there are black stakeholders, 
and they've got to do that to run a good business. It's not just DE&I. I think ESG um, has captured what is really a business imperative. If you want the market, if you want to broaden that market and you want to develop that market, you need to have a diverse group, a diverse company and people who are leading that company at the top who are diverse executives. Okay, I think that, that makes perfect sense and thank you for taking us through that. Um, I have a, a, one last question which I'm gonna put to um, Paul and Terry and uh, I don't mind who answers it first. Um, but irrespective of whether there is legislation or legislative requirements, sorry, to have a particular diversity on boards, what would you say has had a good influence on increasing board diversity in your experience? Or um, perhaps a, another question in that respect is, uh, do, do, you, do you agree that uh, there is evidence that um, better diversity on boards increases productivity, profitability, aids better board decision making. Um, Terry, Paul, um, which of those questions would you like to answer? <laughs> so with respect to the, the you know, pressures to increase diversity on boards, and this is something that Wendy alluded to as well, there's enormous focus from the institutional investor community on uh, getting more diversity on boards. The, the large institutional investors in the U.S. like BlackRock and State Street have announced voting policies that, that essentially say they will withhold votes from, from uh, companies from supporting boards of directors that don't have sufficient diversity. The large investment banks like Goldman Sachs have taken the position that they will not take companies public that don't have sufficient diversity. So there's a there's a lot of pressure from you know the the big influential you know if you will power players in the market broadly pushing in that direction. Interestingly, now what we're seeing as part of you know what I'd call the you know in air quotes anti woke movement is is a is somewhat of a pushback against some of those things, and that's that's coming from a number of. Uh, a number of what we consider red states. Um, we're seeing initiatives from, on the part of Texas and Florida, for example, pushing back on ESG-focused investments. Uh, I think that the there was a group of 19 um, attorneys general from conservative states that filed briefs a brief in, in the NASDAQ case challenging the NASDAQ rule. So I think we're, we're seeing that pushback, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to make it interesting for companies to figure out how to navigate that, that process. Um, I think with respect to, to you know, the, the benefits of having more diversity on boards, it's a really interesting question. I mean, there are a lot of studies that show a correlation between having more diversity on boards and, and, and stronger performance. Um, but one of the things I think that has, has come out as, as these things have been litigated is, is that it's, it's, it's so hard to show causation and one of the things that came up in the California cases and, and also was, was essentially kind of, you know, admitted by the SEC in the NASDAQ case is that they, they can't, to a kind of rigorous standard, prove causation, prove that diversity causes better results. There's a lot of studies that show correlation, and I think a lot of us believe in our hearts that, that, that's, that it's better, but it's difficult to, to, to meet that standard. Mm, okay. Paul, yeah. Paul, and, and, and to follow up, we, ha we have 60 years of experience with, uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, board representation, 40% women in, in, in our boards for, for listed companies. And, uh, and 
what are the results? Uh, because this was the whole point of, of having the quotas, right? To get results. And, um, and service shows that everybody who is in the more diverse board agree. There's, there's a huge consensus that they agree that the board decision-making is better with a diverse board. But do we see the results from that, as, as Terry just mentioned? And, and the Norwegian service or the service about the Norwegian situation does not show that those companies are more profitable than other companies. So we do not have that evidence that the quotation actually has that effect. But that is one thing. The other thing that was perhaps even more important is that we, we, we wanted to, or we expected to have a, what we call a trickle down effect from a greater diversity in the board would mean greater diversity on CEO level and greater diversity on executive level. But we have no more CEOs, female uh, women CEOs now than when we started with this. We do not have more representation of female executives except for the last years. But we are pretty certain that that is not related to the quota. It's related to the change in society in more general. We do not have the same kind of uh, push from investors uh, and, and shareholders as, as, we, as, as I hear from the states. And I think that this is really, really interesting because at the end of the day, I think that that will be what will actually cause more effect for the companies rather than legal requirements as, as we have in Norway. Thank you. I think um, if nothing else to take from this, that there is so much experience across the world, which is um, from which we can all draw from to um, bring about the change in, in board diversity. And um, uh, undoubtedly from the conversations that we've had, that this is something which will continue irrespective of legislation. Um, it seems to me that the big push though really needs to be getting the diversity in the um, uh, levels just below board level so that the pipeline is increased um, and we don't have uh, the need for somebody to stand up and say we need, uh, what are we going to do to get this this next person on the board who's going to be um, representative of the of the organization the world in which we run our markets I'm incredibly grateful for all of you for your time in uh, providing and contributing towards this podcast and I hope um, we've all found it useful and I hope the listeners will find it useful as well um, uh, until the next city, um, which is, is, is coming up. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks to you. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.